welcome to the Cake Sugar Coach podcast. Join me each week as I interview experts who will share the science of sugar, sugar addiction, and different approaches to recovery. We hope to empower you with the information and inspiration, insights, and strategies you need to break up with sugar and fall in love with healthy whole foods so you can prevent and reverse chronic disease, lose weight, boost your mood, and energy. Feel free to go to my website for details on my coaching programs and to access free resources, kicksugarcoach.com. Hello and welcome, everybody. I have a very special guest with me today, Carly Pittman. And Carly, when I first started my summit seven, eight years ago, eight, nine years ago now, um, stood out of the crowd because she was an early pioneer in integrating uh, mindfulness, self-compassion, and trauma into the mix, right? And so now it's really, um, it's really opening up in this space. But Carly was my first, my first person that I knew working in this space that was really talking about this stuff. So we're in for a treat today. Let me tell you a little bit about her. She's a poet. She's a writer. She's a teacher. She's an educator. She's a coach. She's a therapist. She's a healer. And she comes by the work that she does, honestly, because she's journeyed. She's learned so much in her own journey of trying to figure out what is this relationship I've got with food, with sugar that's causing, it's both soothing me, but it's also hurting me. And so as she's unpacked that journey, she's been studying neuroscience and relational um, attachment theory for 16 years. And she brings it all together into a very compassionate, gentle approach to recovery. So I'm very excited to see Carly with you all today. Welcome. Oh, thanks for having me. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I, I'm touched by your intro and yeah, it's the laboratory of my own experience that, yeah, I was trying to make sense of why I, I had so many eating disorders and I would kind of bounce from one to the other. Sugar was kind of the constant threat underneath them. But yeah, really trying to understand what, what is this? And why even being aware when I, I knew I had an eating disorder when I was 18, um, yeah, why it took so long to heal, to heal. So it kind of took me down this journey. So I'm so grateful to be here with you. And um, yeah, that place where self-compassion and mindfulness and trauma intersect for me is so potent because as we were chatting before we began, it really softens shame and it helps us know, oh, it makes sense. My experiences make sense. This is not. Um, Particularly if you're really conscientious, and I might be one of those people, <laughs> you can feel, how, how, how have I been so so stuck in this? Or why has this been since a constant threat in our lives? So I love diving into those worlds because they bring, um, they bring understanding and they bring, they soften that shame and they soften the anxiety. And we feel more like a, like a friend for a journey rather than an adversary. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. The worst thing we can do when we're struggling with anything, including our food, is intensify our self-loathing, our stress, our self-rejection, yeah. our, our discouragement, right? Like that languaging, that self-talk, that approach to our journey doesn't work. Yeah. I help you. I, I think you help us save shave off years you know, by yeah. not continuing to do that old school, if I just kick my myself, if I beat myself right. up enough, I might actually get this sorted out. It doesn't work. Right. Like, like going to war. I gotta go to war. I have teenage sons. So 
one of them has this joke. There's apparently some, some meme about this, but yeah, we can go to war against ourselves. And I remember there's this, I mean, there's a key couple moments in your own journey that might stand out. And, um, and I think when it, and just, just being so just the honor of listening to other people's sugar stories and, and hearing about their journeys, you know, there's always something tender underneath the sugar is a really, I mean, sugar works as a protector. It works as a nervous system regulator. That's why we, we use it. And when we start to really see that what's underneath um, the trauma that's underneath the um, experiences we've had, the sufferings that's there, it's like the heart opens and we feel this compassion for ourselves where uh, um, that tension can kind of soften a little bit. And I can think of key moments in my journey where that would happen. And you, know, you can feel that sense of, oh my goodness, I'm, I've been so hard on myself. Or this has been with me so long. Um, or really feeling that. I think of times when I've cried so hard with with my people that I've worked with, you know, my beloved therapist or um, my educators, my mentors. And when the time when I cried so hard and I realized, oh my goodness, the sugar food saved me. It protected me from pain that was too overwhelming to feel. It held me. It comforted me. It was like, it was like a mother. You know, I teach a class when food is your mother and people they describe that, you know, how sugar is like a mother. It's like one woman said, it's like a bad boyfriend I can't let go, which I thought was, isn't that apt if like there's this part of us that knows, oh my goodness, this is really hurting me, but it gives me, it's also holding me and comforting me. Um, but yeah, when that really sinks in, uh, it's, it helps us then become, there's this children's story I love that this is one of the best examples I've heard of this. Did you ever read the story Corduroy with your kids when they're little about the little stuffed bear? Yeah, I think he he was a children's author, I think in the 60s and 70s. His name is Don Freeman. And it's this little stuffed teddy bear named Corduroy. And he's sitting on the shelf at a department store. And he wants to go home with a child. You know, he wants to be loved. And he's sitting there and no one's picking him. And then this little girl comes in with her mom, Lisa. And Lisa's like, mom, can I buy him? And her mom says, no. And besides, one of his shoulder straps is missing. One of his buttons is missing and his shoulder straps broken. And it's this very, it's almost like a Dharma story because then Corduroy feels like, oh, I've got to fix this miss this broken button so that I can be loved and I can go home. So it creates this whole adventure where he goes looking for his button. But at the end of the story, Lisa does buy him and take him home. And there's this moment when she's in her bedroom. It's in New York City. This, you know, she's in an apartment on a high rise, and he's got just a little bed for him. And he's feeling this, like, oh, I'm home. I've always wanted to be home. And she fixes his button on his shoulder strap. And what she says to him is, she says, "I like you just the way you are, but you'll feel more comfortable with your shoulder strap fixed." And to me, that is, I love children's stories. <laughs> they really get to the truth of it, but that's kind of how we have to approach sugar is not like um, coming it from that place of, of um, fight, of, of strain, of I need to fix this, of control, but rather it's like, 
oh, you know, if I'm overeating or binging on sugar, it's like I have this missing button on my shoulder strap and I'm not as comfortable as I can be. It might cause some pain. So we love ourselves the way we are and we'll feel more comfortable if our button is fixed. So it's kind of that kind of approach of, I don't want to suffer. I want to help myself. Not, you know, I need, I need to get my, my crap together or I need to, um, you know, that kind of fight response. But anyway, I love that little story. <laughs> oh, I love it too. Yes. And it, it it gave me, I actually had a bit of a chill go through my body. I love it. Yeah. I can send you a link to it if people want to know. <laughs> yeah. The, the Dharma children's stories, they can, they can teach us, you know, they, they, they kind of go right through our defenses. You know, they just kind of touch us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. That brief felt experience of, I could love that teddy bear, even if its shoulder strap isn't, right? And if we can do that with the teddy bear, can you imagine how good it's going to feel when we do it with ourselves and for ourselves? Right, because we get a little, you know, we get a little afraid. You know, I have this statue right outside my home, and it's this picture of a mother holding a little infant, and I bought it at a garden store, and they had it like in clearance way in the back. And then when I went, I said, hey, how much is that statue? They said, oh, what will you give us for it? Just take it off your hands because it was all dinged. And I said, I kind of like that it's all dinged up. She's a mother. Mothers get dinged up. You know, we get get really dinged up. I thought it was perfect. And so I love that statue because it's dinged up. And we get dinged up. You know, we we get frayed. Our buttons get missing. Yeah, it's... um, you know, I had to recover from so much perfection. It's kind of side by side with my food journey. So, because um, I had a lot of shame about who I was. So I thought, well, and I had a lot of fear. I felt so afraid. And so I thought, well, if I can just order life so, right, then I'll be okay. And then I'll be loved. And then I can, uh, and everything around me is kind of okay. So for me, just softening perfection is, such a good teaching for me. And it'll continue to accompany me, I imagine, my whole life, however long that might be. Mm-hmm. Recovery from perfectionism is its just a, di- a different way of, of living in chronic pain. Uh, right. That's a good way to put it. Yeah. <laughs> I will say that for me, for me, I, I, I am, I am one of those abstinence oriented, like I just. Right. I, for me, and I know that's not everybody's journey. I think they right. can form relationships and they can figure out how much they can do and right. you know, mostly leave it, but make exceptions and, and be at peace with that. Right. It works for them. And I, I yes. honor that journey. For me, I don't, abstinence, one of the pieces that people can get confused about is they'll think I'm working on my perfectionism. So I don't need to do abstinence because abstinism is perfection and control. That has right. not, not been my experience. It could be done. It could mm-hmm. be done that way, but it could also be done as a breakup. Mm. <laughs> Just like, you know, this is the end of our road here. And I, 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 I know that I feel safe enough. I have more tools now. I have other ways, right. new and better ways of working with my nervous system, of bringing in soothing that I don't need sugar anymore. And I right. don't actually want it back. I don't want it back. That's we're done. I, you know, too much right. history. Now I can't say it'll be forever and I can't say it'll last forever, but I know that for me at the end of the day, 
I feel peace day over day, day over day, day over day. And I don't think I'm doing it perfectly. I just, it's like an ex-smoker five years down the road. They're not waking up thinking I'm not going to smoke today perfectly. They just, it's over. It's it's done. That addiction is kind of done. So Mm -hmm. I don't know if you want to comment on that. Oh, that's so, that's so beautiful. I love it. Uh, The breakup metaphor. Yes, there are, let me see if I can unpack this a little bit. There is a way you can do abstinence that is very, um, has a lot of stress to it. That's about a lot of control um, that can have a lot of tension in it. And there's also a way that you can do abstinence that is like what you described. That is a, the image I use is of like a shut door, the door behind you, actually. It's like, oh, I can't go down that path anymore. And my beloved mentor, I know you'd like to, Dr. Gordon Neufeld, a wonderful Canadian. A lot of people know his work um, better through his peer and co-author, Dr. Gabor Mate. Um, But what Dr. Neufeld teaches that I think is so profound is what he calls the, how the brain can prune out things that don't work. And in truth, we have to face things that don't work over and over. And so for like myself right now, you and I were talking about this before we hopped on, I've had long COVID the last three and a half years, and I have really firm guidelines around what I can eat right now. For example, eggs and dairy. I can do butter, but any dairy, it flares up my long COVID symptoms immediately and will make me so sick. And so it's a shut door for me right now. I really miss cheese. (laughs) I have to say, I miss cheese and I also am okay with it because um, I care about my health and it and it impacts me so profoundly. In some ways, it's helpful if you get really clear, um, immediate feedback. Like, my body doesn't feel good when I eat that because it makes it easier for you to honor that utility. Um, but there are ways, and I wondered about this too, Florence. And it was one of my um, really wonderings. It's like, well, yeah, to white knuckle it through addiction doesn't work. But there has to be a way that we can we can say no to something. There has to be a way to do it that isn't a white knuckle experience. And that's what Dr. Neufeld taught me. And it was so helpful. And in a nutshell, I could explain it if it would be helpful. Yes, go there. That'd be great. Yeah. So he describes there's these different processes of maturation that we all go through, you know, from the cradle to the grave. Um, And one of them is this adaptive process. And it's how the brain prunes out things that don't work. And I remember our interview last year because we talked about it. You talked about the no vitamin that he talks about is we all we will all bump up into circumstances that we can't change. So for some people, a circumstance they can't change is maybe their body is really sensitive to sugar. Um, Maybe you're someone like me who has low blood sugar. And so you have to eat. Um, in a way that honors that low blood sugar. Um, you might be someone who's you know sugar sensitive that when you eat sugar, it really impacts your nervous system. you know, where maybe you were a kid and you were someone at Halloween, you ate all your Halloween candy in three days. You know, I think my Halloween candy lasted most a week. You know it didn't last very long. I remember I had a friend. she'd have Halloween candy for months. And I remember just thinking like, wow, oh, how does she do that? You know? Um, where I was, no, I, you know, I spent my allowance on candy and, uh, 
and magazines and makeup when I was a teenager, you know, that's what I bought at Walgreens. But um, yeah, so if you're someone who you recognize you have a, um, that when you eat sugar, it's really hard for you to stop, that it's a way you're chronically soothing your nervous system. You might notice that you need more and more of it, you know, um, where you're in that space where it's almost like you're eating and eating and eating, trying to get your nervous system to come down, trying to move out of that fight or flight, and you need just more and more of that food, then you might be someone then who comes to that point of recognizing this, this can't continue. Or for like myself, one of the key places for me was, you know, my eating disorders really started to impact my kids. My, I had two daughters at the time. And I can't remember if my third child, my son was born, but I thought I was hiding my eating disorder because I never talked about it. And I tried to never, I didn't want it to harm them, but I saw really clearly it was. And that for me was a big wake up call of, I can't ignore this. You know, I really need to get help. So um, when you're in that moment, when you realize I, this can't continue, it's um, what Dr. Newfield says, you have to face futility. You have to basically, rather than keeping the door open and trying to make it work, trying to, um, you have to shut the door. You have to shut the door and realize it doesn't work. You it, And this actually occurs in the emotional brain. This isn't a cognitive experience. It's felt in the limbic system and the emotional brain where emotionally you, you come to that space of um, this can't be. And when you move from that place of futility into what we could call a place of acceptance or a place of letting go, for many people, this is a grieving process. And people have um, talked to me, they've had very creative ways where they actually grieve sugar. They have funerals. They have a ritual. They have a way of acknowledging like this was something that was really important and served a purpose in my life. And letting go of this is significant for me. So you go through this grieving process. And as that futility dissolves, um, then you come to the other side and the brain will actually prune out that old pathway. It'll start to open up a new pathway. Um, but going through that process of facing the futility of this doesn't work, it's holding you in that no space. Um, so in my life, when I've had that futility, I've had I've had people actually physically hold me because the intensity of the feeling of that I want to like everything in my nervous system is pulling me. I want to eat a self food because that's what my brain and my nervous system learn. This is what holds me when I'm in this place of overwhelming pain. So to have someone like uh, put their arms around me while I'm weeping, because it is for me, for my, you know, my emotional brain, it is like losing a mother. It's like losing something really important. And for people maybe who have never had an emotional bond with food, they might hear that story and think, well, isn't that extreme? But for anyone who's experienced that they know, no, it's for anyone who's had any addiction, letting go of our addictions is courageous um, because we have to be, we feel that law. Um, so that's kind of that pruning out system. And when you do that, and it might be that, you know, for sugar, you go through that process several times. You know, it may not be just one time. 
where it's like you're going to the futility. The sugar doesn't work. No matter how much sugar I eat, it doesn't actually give me truly what I want. It gives us a little bit. And when I say it works, I mean, it can kind of soothe our nervous system, but not really in the way we're needing. And it causes a lot of harm, right? It's not benign. Um, so we might have to go through that process several times of moving through that futility, moving through that adaptive process, feeling our tears. And when we go through that process, we also move our nervous system from the sympathetic to the parasympathetic nervous system. So it takes us out of that fight or flight. When I go through those futilities and grieving it, there's a lightness that comes out of the other side, but the middle of it feels can feel really intense because it's it's kind of like a mini death. I mean, there's a there's a there's a dying process, a letting go. Um, and for all of us, there are 10,000 futilities we face throughout our lives, whether it's you know, whether it has to do with sugar, whether it has to do with um letting go of other relationships that no longer serving us. You know, we all go to futility, we face the death of people we love, we face endings, we face um there's things we can't control in life, you know. So this adaptive process is such a friend to us and it companion the, companions us through life. Um, but in my experience, it's really helpful to have loving support to go through it. So for anybody who's listening, if you recognize like, oh, um, I haven't faced that futility around sugar. You know, I haven't faced that futility that, yeah, it's not serving me and I'm it's causing harm, even though it's also bringing some comfort. Um, often what we need is we need support to do that. You know, we need other people. We need other nervous systems. We need, um, and, and, our, and it's kind of like our, our, you know, the way I look at our bodies and our nervous system, and this comes from my amazing teachers and um, amazing woman named Bonnie Badnock is a teacher of relational neuroscience. She really taught me this, that our bodies are always trying to move us towards healing. Our nervous systems, no matter how messy it appears on the surface. So kind of what that does is it helps us trust um, because healing goes through cycles and through seasons. It, um, it's not linear. Healing isn't linear. Um, and so part of what that does is like, it's almost like our body move us into that adaptive process or more like we're not the one forcing it. It's moving through us. It's like we, our job is to, um, it's almost like a willingness. Am I willing, am I willing to have, to have this process go through me? Am I willing to face futility? Am I willing to face the things that don't, don't work? and to let them go. Am I willing to grieve? Grieving is a huge part of the healing process. Yeah, I hope that, does that give you a flavor of it? <laughs> mm, totally. And my experience with uh, Newfeld, and I never applied it to my own journey of addiction recovery, but I right. applied it as a mother, right? So he's an expert in parenting. And I read a book, called, right. like, Have a New Kid by Friday. And the main takeaway for me was he talks about you've got these strong-willed kids that are anxious and scared, and they think they need control, that they need to be the alpha child. They need to get their way to be safe. Right. And when parents say no, it can be really stormy. 
they can go, they'll fight you, right? They they want their way, they'll tantrum, they'll bite, they'll right. whatever. I mean, extreme kids will do that. Yeah. Mine was. She was very strong-willed. And many times I thought, I don't know that I'm strong right. enough to parent this kid because my instinct is just go, well, okay. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> okay. Okay. All right. Just you can go yeah. play soccer, like whatever it is that they they think they needed to do. But eventually, after I read that book, I learned to expect the storm. And once the tears came, I knew she would soften. I knew she would come to a place of peace. And I knew she would feel that she was protected by her mom, that her mom was the boss, and she could just be a kid. And before that, somehow I thought that this process, I was torturing her. I was being a mean mom, right? Because she certainly let me know I was being a mean mom. They will let you know. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Hate you. Like you're the meanest mom. And I realized this is good. I know what she's doing. I know this process. She's fighting. She's trying to hang on. She wants her way. I want to eat the sugar. I want to be able to have some. I want to, I want to be able to eat that at parties. I want to have some of my kids, you know, birthday cake or wedding cake. And there's that stormy, tantrumy sort of face and then when there it's not happened no honey as long as she, she was young enough that I could say no and have it stick and there wasn't a damn thing she could do about it no right. I'm not giving you the keys to the car or whatever it is right, right, right and then you could see she moved through to the tears and then there was this amazing grief and then yeah. there was peace. That was the the letting go. And that's right. the same thing we do with sugar. I have wept about pancakes. I have wept about chocolate. I can't do any of it. I just choose not to. And I'm totally, totally at peace. Totally right. at peace. I, I, it's just absurd to think in retro, at retrospect that. Right. I know. I was just thinking as I listened to you, like, like Pepsi was one of the, like, flavors of my childhood you know and yeah I haven't had a Pepsi and although then I drank coke when I went to college I didn't have Pepsi really yeah it's probably been I don't know like 30 years since I've had a soda and I don't even think about Pepsi anymore but um yeah you can like they can there are things that dissolve that then aren't a aren't an issue anymore um and yet, yeah, so that, you know, when you talk about grief and you talk about this letting go process, it can feel a little intimidating to some people. But I think about a friend of mine who she runs grief circles for women. And we were talking the other day. Um, and it's not just for women who have lost loved ones. It's for any kind of grief. You know, it can be the grief of divorce. It can be the grief of parenting, <laughs> all kinds of things. And this woman said, and this struck me, she said, now I know the peace that passes understanding. And she was talking about after having grieved and being witnessed in her grief. She hadn't just grief, but having people to hold her in it. Mm. Oh, this is that peace. There is that that peace on the other side. And for a lot of people, having the shut door of no sugar in such for a lot of people is easier than than eating it moderately um, because it does kind of create a. It's just really clear. You know, it creates a real clear boundary, a container, and the container then holds our nervous system. It's like you've got this um, in the same ways our our rhythm, our daily rhythms can kind of hold us. It becomes this thing that holds you, um, which can be surprising to people to think because initially they think it's going to feel awful 
And it's hard to imagine, oh, that that limit could actually, I call them loving limits. It actually feels supportive. It's, um, you know, in alchemy and sacred alchemy, they talk about how you have the container and then all the stuff in the container to make the alchemy. And the container is um, in alchemy. They kind of think of it as the masculine principle. And when I mean masculine, it's, it doesn't matter if you're male or female. It's we all have that principle within us. It's that holding. It's that, oh, that sense of containment. And our emotional nervous systems need containment. They need that sense of, of boundary. Um, and I have a little bit of a theory that I think a lot of us, if we're using sugar reg- regularly to soothe our nervous system, it's almost like sugar is what we're trying to use to be that boundary, that, that containment. So when we have that kind of that container around us, um, the inside of the container is what's considered quote the feminine, and that's like the flow and the the, the, the river within the river banks. Um, and we need both. And uh, as our nervous systems are well supported, and some of that support, you know, comes from loving others. We're we're social beings. Uh, that containment, it's almost like that containment can replace the containment that sugar is giving us. Um, sugar, that substitute that we're using for really what we're meant to find um, in relationship. Uh, you know, it's so interesting. There's a theory that when we practice self-compassion, that it's actually using the same pathways in the brain as the attachment pathways and the relational pathways which to me is so fascinating and makes a lot of sense. So when we're practicing self-compassion, when we're gentle with ourselves, when um, when we have those flare-ups, whether it's for sugar or whether it's self-judgment or whether it's self-harshness, and we go and, and, and soothe ourselves, you know, as a mother would soothe a child, you know, it's okay, sweetheart. It comforts the brain. It soothes the brain. It softens fear in the brain. And it, activates those same neural pathways as attachment. So it is like having warm arms around. It's like having that, uh, that hug, that holding, I've got you. You're not alone. I'm here. I'm here. I'm here. Wow. That's very profound. I would say that that is bang on for me, for my nervous system. I've never thought of it that way, that sugar used to be my mother. And now abstinence feels like my mother. Abstinence feels like it keeps me safe. It's got me. It's holding me. It's And I never would have thought because so framed is deprivation. Right. What if it's actually just this loving containment, like you're describing? That's my experience of it. I feel loved by by just the clarity of I am a whole food woman and the, the, right. the black and whiteness of it for works for my brain. I get there's lots of right ways right. Of, of negotiating a relationship with sugar. But for me, it's just so clean. I don't ever have it. Well, occasionally I do. It'll have this little food chatter where it'll say, oh, don't you think we should have? And I'll think, oh, no, sweetheart. No, I, I don't think so. But it yeah. does look it's, good, doesn't it? It's, a, it's an interesting idea. <laughs> Interesting yeah. idea. Yeah, I don't, yeah. I'm not going to go. Because those ideas will come, they will come up. You know, that, you know, sometimes the interesting idea is I should really check my social media right now. Or I really, you know, like, uh, you know, it'll, it'll kind of navigate us different ways. But yeah, I, it's interesting to hear how that resonates with you, that it can feel like 
it's kind of like if you've ever seen a really small child, like an infant or a toddler, when they've just had too much for the day, they're, you know, we used to joke when our kids were little, stick a fork in them, they're done, like, like a Thanksgiving turkey, you know, when it's done. And you can see when a small child, it's like they've had enough for the day. They um, have enough activity. They're, they're tired. They've reached that end point. When you have someone who can see and attune, like, oh, they've had enough. They're satiated. They've had enough. They don't need any more. When you have that loving space of, oh, I see you've had enough. You're full. You're done. It's incredibly soothing. And um, you feel so cared for. Mm-hmm. But converse, when we don't have that, that containment around us, I think for many people, whether it shows up as like with work or we feel like we're never done. And we feel like we just have to keep working, working, working. That feeling we have when you're exhausted and you're pushing to get something else done. And sometimes you have no choice. Like you've got an infant or you've got a huge deadline or you're an EMT or that feeling when you have to push past your capacity, you know, it's stressful for us. So to have something that recognizes, oh, you've had enough. It's okay. So, so soothing. Um, Mm. You know, one thing that Dr. Neufeld said is one of the most vulnerable feelings we can feel is emptiness. And we have to be able to feel both emptiness and satiation because we can only feel, we have to be full empty before we're full. And those two feelings are, in my experience, uh, it's like two of your most powerful friends on the journey. They may not always feel like friends because feeling empty is a very vulnerable feeling. And feeling satiated can be vulnerable to know when we've, to be able to feel, oh, I've had enough. I've had enough stimulation for the day. I've had enough food and a meal. Um, I don't need any more. Because sometimes our nervous systems try to bring us to rest paradoxically by pursuing more. Like when often what we need is to recognize, oh, I'm satiated, I'm full. Um, And that, in my experience, is a moving really into the body, Um, which for a lot of us is a gradual process because if we've had a lot of trauma, it often doesn't feel safe to be in our body. Um, But to really feel, oh, that emptiness, what is that emptiness I'm wanting? And the emptiness will often tell us, oh, it's, it's chocolate. It's the chocolate that will fill that emptiness, or it's um, it's a Netflix show, or it's working more. And so, in addition to kind of befriending that shut door and those limits, we're also befriending emptiness. We're befriending satiation. Really learning. Oh, how do I know I'm full? Like in my life, when I know I'm satiated, I I feel I start to get crabby and almost frustrated when I'm satiated and when I'm not recognizing, oh, I'm full. Um, It's like I'm overstimulated. I feel kind of like a cranky infant. And that's my signpost. Like, okay, hmm, I think I need to go. That's my signpost telling me, stop. Stop. Don't send the next email. Don't put the load of laundry in. You know, which for me is an, um, it feels like I'm learning Western culture. Mm -hmm. (laughs) but yeah, so to recognize, and that might be something people can try with. Huh, how does my body tell me I've had enough? And usually we learn by knowing when I've had more than enough. 
right? And we feel that adrenaline kind of drive. So isn't it interesting how so much of healing is learning about our nervous system, befriending our nervous system? You know, you and I have talked about this a lot. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I am just before lunch at the end of this interview, I'm going to go eat lunch. I'm really hungry. So I was just noticing, ah, yes, I have that. My stomach is empty feeling and it feels very vulnerable. Like I was just, I was, you were inviting me to sort of notice yet that does feel vulnerable that I, I mean, may not be true for, for any, anyone else, but I feel vulnerable when I'm hungry. That emptiness, it is a vulnerable state. It's like, oh, will I get enough to eat? Will will there be food for me? I imagine, I imagine that this is a an, a, an infant experience, right? right. That, that being left alone, you know, to cry when you're hungry or, or there right. being a delay before your mom can bring you the bottle because she's warming it up or something like that, right? right. That, that some of those early experiences of fear of is my, not, rationally but the, to the little right. infant, the body doesn't know that for sure money mom's coming and the right. thing it just it's in that moment of am I gonna get what I need and that's why I think I feel vulnerable because yeah. there's the unknown of am I gonna get my needs met have I been abandoned am I gonna survive right yeah it's point it's a poignant feeling feeling empty feeling hungry feeling emotionally hungry feeling physically hungry, feeling lonely. Yeah. Will someone be there? Will I be? So that containment piece I was talking about, you know, um, and I'll I'll make sure I get this right because it's been a long time since I've studied this piece, but I believe it's the emotional brain can't tell time and boundary. So when we're in pain, it feels like it's going to be forever. It feels like it's going to be forever. So that sense of, Oh, this this will end, and that's part of what ah uh, that containment. Like when you give somebody a hug, a hug. Part of what's so soothing about it is it helps us know. Oh, the pain will end. I'm not alone in this this distress. Like there's arms around me. There's a sense of being held. So even spiritually, so a lot of my journey kind of went side by side with relational neuroscience. For me, was having a sense of. Um, for me, it's the Divine Mother, that sense of, oh, is there somebody, which is why I have that statue of the mother outside my window here. Is there a sense that there's something holding me that won't let go? Arms that that I can't fall out of. So side by side for a lot of people, too, with their physical recovery from addiction, it's a spiritual recovery. And for me, it was that relationship, um, which really deepened, interestingly enough, before long, before the pandemic happened and I look back and I'm so grateful for that because that held me because I got sick really really early February March 2020 and the divine mother was you know something that really held me throughout that Mm -hmm. Um, so a real practical takeaway that I think is so helpful if you're in recovery with sugar is um, to have three places of support and one of them somebody with skin on like another human being and it actually helps if that person isn't your partner because sometimes when you're recovering from something um it can it can put a lot of weight on our partners our partners certainly can be part of that if you have someone in your life but it also helps to have someone could be a therapist could be a support group could be a friend um but those three places of support one of them might be spiritual support it might be your meditation practice 
Um, it might be a spiritual figure that you connect to, maybe Kuan Yin or the Buddha or, or Jesus, whoever that might be. It might be a tree. It might be a pond that you go and visit every day. It might be the ocean. It might be a pet. It might be someone like a beloved grandmother or an auntie or a teacher that you had as a child that you felt really safe with. Because um, every relationship we've had that had emotional component to us, it lives in our nervous system. So we can access those places of support in our bodies today. So having three places, one an actual person, but you know that you can go to for that support. Because that's really in a big picture nutshell what we're doing is we're replacing sugar as a source of soothing with other places that will really meet our needs other places that can kind of soothe our nervous systems, other places that can give us that comfort and give us that cooling. And for many people, that's an unwinding. You know, it doesn't happen overnight, but um, but it, and it makes the journey, you know, if there's something I can look back, because I had so much shame, I really tried hard doing most of it on my own, in my own recovery. And it took a long time for me to feel safe enough to open to people and expose myself because, you know, it was always like, oh, I'm going to heal myself tomorrow. <laughs> I always wanted to think of it as, oh, they're, they're in the past, they're done. And it was, and that was a significant place for me when I really opened up to getting a lot more help and support. So three places, just something for people to think of. I have three places that I can, and you can have more than that. starting with those three, you know, um, you can really go. Yeah, I almost wanted to find out, like, ask people, like, what are those three places that we could go down the whole rabbit hole for that? Because it's really beautiful to listen to people and know, like, where are those places that you go to? And for some people, that's a very painful question. For some mm -hmm. people, it's like, oh my God, I wish I had three places. Mm -hmm. And um, if that's someone that's your experience, I just extend my heart to you because. You have so much strength because if you haven't had that kind of support in your life, that you're here and that you're breathing and you're functioning, those the tremendous strength you have. Um, and to, you know, for a lot of people, it's their pets. A pet is a place of unconditional love and support, and it and or nature, trees, and then you can start to feel safe enough with people. So if you don't feel like you have three, you're not alone. And that's an indictment of our culture. It's not a personal flaw. It's just that in a lot of Western cultures, we've forgotten how to, uh, that we belong to one another, you know, with Mother Teresa. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I, going back to the idea of the door, closing the door, there's that saying, when one door closes, another opens. For me and my journey, and yeah. I don't know anybody who is the exception to this rule, that there is always a closing and opening, closing and opening like the it's a long yeah. journey because we kind of we go back to the blankie and then we venture forth. Right. And we start to connect with other ways of being connected. Um, yes. And and then we go back, we go back to sugar in our case, our blankie or something that feels safe. This feels safe. This reliably soothes me. It gives my nervous system the feeling of you're safe, you're cared for, you're loved. 
Yeah. And then we venture farther and we go back and forth and people call it slips. They call it relapses. They call it get going off their diet, whatever you want to call right. it. Really. It's just yeah. a journey of learning that you, you know, that there are other ways, better ways yeah. to, to bring that comfort that we all need and deserve. Everyone needs soothing and comforting and co-regulation. And, and so, for me, eventually I realized that I I really did need to close that door for long enough at least to create that vacuum. Yeah. For me to be willing to truly right. experiment with new and better ways of bringing self-soothing. Because as long as I was still having some sugar, when, when I was stressed, right. I really needed, I would go back because it was just too easy. But once right. I closed the door and they made the decision and I had a stretch of abstinence, that's where I was like, either here's the deal. I understand yeah. why they say now addicts, you know, relapse for three for, because of three circumstances. They're they're suffering. And, you know, they can continue, they have three options. They can continue to suffer, which I would do as soon as I put the food down. Whew, massive suffering. It was just all yeah. right there. And it just kind of kept coming up. And then mm-hmm. There was the thought of, I can't take this. Maybe I should kill myself. And then there was the thought of, oh, maybe I should just relapse. Maybe I should just go back to sugar. Well, what a hell of three horrible choices. Like, of course we relapse all the time, right? When you got that, I mean, those are your choices. So eventually when you close the door, I'm not going to kill myself and I'm, I'm not relapsing. You're left with the suffering and the suffering will compel you. Now go do the work. Go take the risk of going to find somebody to say, I have a terrible eating disorder or I'm in pain or right. Or you start listening to books that talk about trauma and the nervous system and self-compassion. Like you start bringing that information in. It starts to create opportunities and possibilities you didn't even know existed in the world because we were so locked into, you know, when you're a hammer, you see everything as a nail or is that the expression or is it vice versa? When you're a nail, you I see. think, I think you said it the right. I just think for a second. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. that's so beautiful about the. I had never connected that. You connected something for me about the shut door. Yeah, when a door shuts, another, another opens. And yes, that that really resonates. Yeah, the that is the both the blessing and the challenge of the journey is that when we shut the door on the the sugar and we get enough distance from us from it yeah the places inside that the sugar was protecting they start to speak and um, I can remember the day when I realized I could not have prevented my eating disorders if I tried and um, just the com- the compassion that came to me of this isn't your fault you know these are uh, this was the nervous system that you were given. This is the, you know, I'm pretty sensitive. Um, you know, I was a really sensitive kid that picked up on everything around me and absorbed all the emotions of those around me. And food was that real buffer for me. Um, it, the, the forgiveness and the compassion of this is part of my path. It's not who I am. The eating disorders, the addictions, they're not who we are. They're there are things we care for. Um, and bringing in that mercy, bringing in that, that ease, and then the suffering becomes, may I be kind to the suffering? May I be kind to what's here? 
Um, and we gently start to open. And you're right, healing is not, you know, I think we need to move from a linear model to a cyclical model. If you think of how we go through seasons, everything in nature cycles and we cycle. Um, and often what I'll see with people who are healing is they'll go through this big integration of something that's come up and is being integrated and healed. And then it may be that after that is when they'll have a flare up. There's a big, a big sugar binge. Um, and then another piece that is coming up and really being healed. Um, not to look at, like, not to judge our recovery in a real um, linear, rigid fashion. That real healing and recovery is messy. And particularly as those implicit traumas, the implicit is the memory that's below our conscious awareness. It starts to bubble up. You know, it it might blub up, bubble up in a way that that you might have a day when you're like, oh my goodness, I've been eating all day. Uh, and that's when it it's really helpful to be really curious. Like, hmm, I wonder what's here. So if we throw out the linear model of healing and instead really see the cycles, then there's no, there's no um, wagon to fall off of. It's like it's all contained within it. And if our focus is on how we relate to whatever's coming up, and I want to relate to myself with compassion and with curiosity, with as much gentleness as I can, then in some ways, it doesn't matter what's coming up. It's like the friend that's visiting us that day. It's not like our self-worth or um, we're not identified with the success, quote unquote, or, or failure. It's like our identity is resting with the, the one who's witnessing and holding our unfolding. Our identity isn't hitched to how well our recovery is going. And that really helps because everyone is going to have messy experiences in their recovery. Um, and often what's happening is either there's more stress in your life or there's something really profound that's coming up that's wanting to be integrated and healed. And in both cases, what we need in those moments is more support. Mm -hmm. um, that's what we need. And more support might even be more containment around food. Like you might need more structure at those times in your journey. Um, you might need someone at your side when you go to the grocery store. You may need someone with you after you eat dinner because for a lot of people, that's it's like the end of the day because at the end of the day, that's when we often feel, you know, we're coming down, we're quiet. You know, we can put things off all throughout the day, but at the end of the day, that's often whatever emotionally has been stirred up that day, it kind of comes, it comes calling because we get quiet. We're not doing so much. We're kind of getting ready for bed. For a lot of people, it's after dinner. It's the evening when things really start to flare. Um, yeah, the cycle metaphor. Um, there's no wagon to fall off of. Because as soon as we start to feel like I'm falling off the wagon, that activates that fight or flight nervous system. And then we're in fight or flight. And then we feel like we have to control it. Or we feel like we have to fix it. So instead of control, it's like we're a companion. I'm the companion on the journey. Um, and a lot of, for a lot of people, there's a real deep, what I would call like base level 
self-acceptance that starts to flower out of that, of um, this is what's here in my life today. It's kind of, that's where that mindfulness really comes in and the self-compassion of, you know, it's beautiful and sunny where I live right now here in Austin. It's about a hundred degrees today. Tomorrow it might be raining. It might be snowing. You know, we don't control the weather, but we can relate to the weather. And so we can relate to our inner weather. And that's, you know, that's my journey for the rest of my life is relating to the inner weather. And sometimes we have more bandwidth than others. Sometimes we have a day. Um, but that's again where um, healing is not, recovery is not perfectionism. Recovery is learning how to hold all of it with as much gentleness and compassion and humor, humor really, you know, as we can. And when I start to get really kind of like crabby, that's usually when I know I've lost my sense of humor about it. So humor really helps. Yeah, humor really helps. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Thank you. So we're, 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 I can't believe we've just burned through an hour, but I do need to switch gears, but I'm going to do a little bit of a recap. And then I invite you to see if you would like to do a recap yourself or any, you know, if there's any final words you'd like to share. So here's what I heard from this interview. I heard you say, and this is not in uh, any particular order, just off the top of my head. I was really struck when you said you reminded people that we are, we are not the struggle. We're not the suffering. We're not the behaviors. Right. You know right. that there's a part of us that can witness yeah. that, and that that part is the true self. So that part yeah. that says, you know, you're not doing this good enough, and you're not doing it perfect, and I can't believe you binge date sugar again, or what's wrong right. with you? Why can't you be like so and so and just get this together? That's not the true you. The true you yeah. would never say would never use those words, would never bring that energy. The true you is love, it's compassion, and it's kindness. You can't fake it. You can't make it go away. You can't make it come. It's just who you are. And then I could hear this thread through everything you were saying, like when you can when you can access the self, the true self, that, that true self can hold space. It can be kind. Right. It can be gentle. It can see this as a cycle. And I know for a fact in my life, and I say this to my clients all the time, if you've slipped or you've relapsed, it's because there's something you needed to learn still. Count on it. Don't even question it. Just look for it. That there was something more that you needed from that experience. And when you're done, there's no more lessons to learn from slips and relapses or binges or purges or whatever. It'll be done right? That you'll know, ah, there's nothing more to learn there for me. Now that I can close that door. And then over time, as you just start opening other doors, is this going to be as comforting? No. How about this? How about rocking and soothing and humming? Maybe, maybe. How about asking someone for a hug or going out in nature or finding one of my three, right? right? Like just to keep exploring what else feels good to our nervous system. And that every step of the way, the journey is kind and it's gentle and it's slow and it's supported. And so I think that's, um, and that the pain of closing doors when we have come to the wall, Dr. Neufeld calls calls it the T. And I knew that moment when my kid was hitting this firm, no, 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 honey, you know, and this fight and then the grief and then the peace, right? That that when we close that door and it's a definitive no, that doesn't work. We don't eat sugar or whatever. 
that there is peace. And that if you let yourself grieve, you can move on the brain will prune it go not an option. And it you don't feel you don't spend a lifetime in in, uh, feelings of deprivation and and loss. Right. I think those are the things I heard. There's probably more but how about you for final words? (laughs) Yeah, I think you hit them. Yeah, just that's such a good question. Like if there's anything, yeah, if if anything I could say, I could say this, that to me, it's it's an incredible honor when I sit and hear someone's sugar or food story. Um, I feel even kind of teary thinking about it. It's just such an honor because there's so much beauty in, uh, in a human being that isn't it interesting that somehow along the way, like our, our minds kind of crafted this ideal of what we thought we should be. And we can very much create an ideal of what we think recovery should be. But it really is just an image. It's not real. It's um, what's real of whatever you're experiencing. Um, so I would tell people to really trust the beauty with, of their journey. And I get it. This isn't always easy. And there's times I have my own moments when I'm in tears and I just had one last night with my husband because some real deep stuff has been coming up for me in my own trauma and I was feeling that primal sense of that that sense of gosh why have I had so much trauma like why did things impact me so much you know other people may have gone through similar life experiences and it didn't impact them so much but again it was that deepening journey for me of this is my path. This is part of my path. Um, and the path itself holds you and it's beautiful. It's not like there's a different path you should be on that somehow it's, it's just not true. And so I would say the recovery journey takes us deeper and deeper into acknowledging like how I made is holy and is beautiful. And is needed because the flip side of my challenges with in my own life with addiction and trauma and sexual abuse and you know the things that I experience on the other side of that is the sensitivity that that I have, the um, you know, the ways I can listen, the ways I can feel, the ways that there's other things too. So yeah, to not identify with any of the struggles we have. And, you know, if we lived in worlds that, and not to blame ourselves because in a lot of our cultures, you know, they're, they're capitalistic, they're not connection-based. And so, so many of us struggle and we think there's something wrong with us when it's just that we haven't, you know, what if we all had communities where we had this, the kind of rich support that enabled us to thrive? So I think if I said anything, it would be, yeah, where your worth and your identity is, is not at all tied into, you're not being graded. There's no performing required in recovery. None. In fact, that's what we're healing from, healing from performing. But trust your journey, even the hard parts, because, you know, sometimes I'm able to say this, I've had the incredible honor of having eating disorders of i've had the honor of of living with addiction i've had the honor of living with trauma 
Um, and it's created this wonderful, rich, fecund, you know, compost for my life. And, and it definitely, I know, you know, there's, when we go through our own recovery, we can't help but deepen our compassion for everyone, not just ourselves. And I think that um, that's why we're all here. So, yeah, if you want to learn about me, you can find me on growinghumankindness.com. I do have a mighty network. Um, and there's a free welcome room, growinghumankindness.com, or Mighty Network, where you can get lots of free resources. I think we're this is happening in September, so it's actually um, October, October, October. Oh, October. Okay, so I was gonna say that we um, we there is a class that I was offering that um, I do offer home study courses, and the one that I really recommend for people with sugar is called Emerge, Create a New Habit, and it is. It's a 30-day course of bringing self-compassion into the kind of these nitty-gritty places. And people love it because it's a short audio every day. So it is like having that hug every day on your journey. So yeah, come by and say hello. I always love love visiting with people. And yeah, blessings, blessings on your journey. Mm, thank you so much, Carly. Thank you so much. Yeah. Wonderful. Thanks, everyone. I hope you enjoyed this interview. Yeah. And I hope you give yourself a hug after this interview. Yeah. And, I, and I hope you know that your true self can welcome and accept all of your experiences. It knows how to do that. And that's our journey. Yeah. It's part of our healing. Ah, I have this. Welcome. 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 Welcome, welcome and accept. Have a beautiful day. Bye-bye. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Thanks for tuning in this week. If you would like more interviews, more information, and more inspiration on how to break up with sugar, go to my YouTube channel, Kick Sugar Coach, or my website, kicksugarcoach.com. See you next week.